Awesome. Thanks, Jade. You guys are doing? Well, um, we also, if you want to just connect with us as a church, you want to know like activities we do, ways to get involved, we have on our bulletins, these cool looking bulletins, on the back side of the place, you can put your name, email, and then you fill out just those two things, and then you can give it to Gabe Vega on the way out. Guys, you can ask more about the men's event too while you give him uh, this uh, bulletin. So that's one way that you can connect with us. Also, we, um, as a church, we believe that the Bible is God's word, his message to us. And so because of that, we spend a good amount of time whenever we gather thinking deeply about God's word. So we want to make the Bible available to you. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, we have them available on the back table, also on our info table outside. If you don't own a Bible, take it, keep it. That is our gift uh, from us, uh, from us to you. Last thing. So, uh, so this is our second uh, week as as Harbor Church, and so part of that means that um, that when it comes to just our administration, a lot of that we get we get just supported from um, the other Harbor churches. So uh, when it comes to to our offerings, uh, we want to just make sure that the info is logged down correctly. So um, if you're someone that gives. Uh, an offering to the Lord through through check. We just ask it on the envelope. If you can just put your email too, uh, and then uh, we'll make sure we get that logged in so that at the end of the year, when you get your giving statements for your taxes, um, you'll get emailed it through Harbor Church. If you're someone that gives cash, and we just ask you put your, your regular address that would be on a check and your email. Uh, that way we can just get that info logged um, logged in. Now, you only need to do that once from February to December. So if you're like, I got to do that every time. No, just one time. Um, we'll get that recorded uh, so uh, you can get that end of the 2020 statement when it comes out. All right. So uh, we are continuing our sermon series in First Timothy as we've uh, been thinking about this idea of the fight, the fight. And so uh, we started a few weeks ago. So if you want to open up with me, 1 Timothy, if you have one of our Harbor Bibles, it is on page 576. Page 576 will be in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through the end. Just verse 20. So we've been kind of exploring this idea of, of a fight that is going on, even though it, we can't see it. It's a fight, and if you see a bulletin, it's Jesus and you. Let me be more specific, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? And, and, and you and the rest of God's people, the rest of those who are aligned with God, versus the flesh, the devil, and the world. The flesh is just this word, speaking of, of that, the sinful uh, desires, the things within us that wants to live independent from God. That's uh, the flesh, the world, which is the world system that is against God, that wants to live autonomously from God, and the devil. And the devil. So there's this spiritual war uh, that is going on, but it's, it's not a war where it's a 50-50, where we're not sure who's going to win the battle, but the war has already been decided. Jesus won the war. He died on the cross. He conquered sin and death and the devil. He rose again. And one day he will return to just clean up house. And, and that's what we're waiting for. So it's not a 50-50 battle. God is, 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 is the victor. But we're still in the battle. And God has given us his Holy Spirit, who is God, to live in every single one of his followers to fight that battle, to fight that good fight, which is to love God with all of our 
being and to love our neighbor as ourself as we share the good news of Jesus with, um, with others. And so Paul is going to describe in this, this next section uh, his life, and I think he's going to show us how to fight the good fight. Now, maybe for some of us, we might be thinking, man, I don't even know how to fight the good fight. What does it even look like? You know, for me growing up, I never got in a physical fight before growing up. I confess that to you. And it wasn't because I was like really nice or really smart where I could avoid fights. I just don't know how to fight. <laughs> I don't know how to fight. And so I, I, I would probably lose if I ever got into a fight. So I just never got into a fight because I don't know how, um, I don't know how to fight. Uh, just ignorant of it. Now, I could probably beat up my younger brother at the time just because I had an age gap over him, but probably couldn't, couldn't take anybody uh, else. But maybe for us, some of us were thinking, you know what? I don't even know how to fight this good fight. And Paul's going to give us wisdom as we, uh, as we think about this topic um, this morning. And so maybe when we're thinking about fight, some of us are thinking, man, I feel like I'm losing the good fight. Like, super discouraged, feel hopeless, uh, coming to church was a fight, it was a battle just to get here, and you just feel discouraged. Well, Paul's going to encourage us uh, this, this morning. Maybe for others of us, we don't even think we're in a fight. Life is all about trying to get by, surviving the cost of living in Hawaii. And so it's like a fight, I'm just trying to survive. And so Paul's going to teach us, no, there actually is a fight that's going on. And then maybe there's others, others of us who you'd say, yeah, I, I am trying to fight that good fight. I'm trying to uh, love my neighbor as myself and trying to love God with everything that I have. But I need more direction, more wisdom. And so Paul's going to give us that as we look at this next uh, section uh, that we're going to read through. And so um, let's just jump right in as, as Paul teaches us, as he, as he teaches Timothy uh, to live uh, in light of this fight. So here's what he says in verse 12. I thank God, or I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. So we're going to look at five ways that as Paul, Paul's going to reflect on his own conversion, and then he's going to turn to Timothy, his mentee, and encourage him. Uh, Timothy is a pastor uh, of this church in Ephesus, and as we've been looking, this this church had a lot of issues, and we're gonna we're gonna read about that as we go through First Timothy. A lot of issues, a very broken church, seems like a very unhealthy church. And Paul tells Timothy, stick it out, don't leave this church. I want you to stick it out and help them. For Timothy, that must have been really hard. He's young relatively young. He had physical disabilities. Uh, also, he's in a challenging church situation without his mentor, Paul. And so Timothy must just have thought, I don't want to do this, I'm guessing. His personality, he, was, he seemed to be very timid. He wasn't that charge the hill type A personality, but seemed kind of more on the timid side because Paul had to encourage him uh, to be strong. Uh, but yet Paul is saying, no, this is a good thing. I want you to fight the good fight and stay in this church in Ephesus. So that's what's going on. And so Paul is writing to his, his, uh, his, his mentee, Timothy, encouraging, hey, stick this out, persevere. And so the first thing I think uh, Paul shows us in this, this, this picture of fighting the good fight is 
to fight with thanksgiving. That's the first thing. How do we fight the good fight? To fight with thanksgiving. Here's what it says, going back to verse 12. Notice Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength. Paul models for us how to fight the good fight, and it's being thankful. Being thankful. Now, um, I like how John Piper says it like this when it comes to thanksgiving. And, and fighting the good fight. He says, evidently, we are fair game for the devil when we don't abound with thanksgiving. Unless the song of thanksgiving is being sung in our hearts, the enemy outside will deceive his way into the city of our soul. And the enemy sympathizers within will make his job easy. So for the sake of your own safety, strive to fill your heart with thanksgiving. Guard yourselves with gratitude. And Paul, in his other letters, tells the church over and over to be thankful. Thankfulness in Philippians fights fear, fights against fear and anxiety. It's our way to fight against fear and anxiety. It's through thanksgiving. So Paul is modeling for us the way to fight the good fight. It's to be thankful to God. Because there are times when we get into real lows. There are times we get bitter towards God and and that's an indicator that something's not right, or we get bitter towards other Christians because they're not giving us what we think they should be giving us, and there's this sense of um, resentment and hard-heartedness that festers in our hearts. Paul's saying we need to be thankful, to intentionally think about the ways that God has blessed us, evidences of God's grace in our lives. So um, what can that look like? That can look like, in our, if for those of us who journal, journaling and reflecting on how God has been so good to us. Maybe you're feeling super discouraged this morning, feeling like, man, I'm just down. I'd encourage you to reflect on ways that God has been so good, um, so good to you. We can be thankful in our gospel community groups or in our journey groups and spend time sharing with others about how good God has been. We can do that around the dinner table with with friends, with family members, where we can be sharing with them how God has been so good. So something uh, we try to do as a family is every Thursday, we call it Thanksgiving Thursday with our family, is um, we'll be around the dinner table and um, we'll take turns, family of five, three kids. So uh, we'll take turns uh, each meal where we'll choose one person and then we'll spend time. Each person will go around, other than John Mark, because he can't talk. But the rest of us will go around uh, thanking God for one thing about that person. So for example, this past week, it, was, it landed on Trisha. So my two daughters, Mariah and Jemmy, and then myself, we shared one thing that we thank God for. So, you know, if you like, you know, uh, I thank God that, that, that you are uh, just so patient with me when I make mistakes and you help me just as God is patient with me and helps me with those mistakes. So every Thursday, we intentionally build in time where we're going to praise God for one member of the family. And it also affirms that person and teaches them how to affirm others in a God-centered way. And so we fumble through that. We're definitely not perfect, but we, we, we just fumble through that. But we find it's a good way to remember God's goodness. And then at the end of the uh, a year, what we've been trying to do is we'll sit down together as a family and then we'll just reflect on the year and just praise God for the different things he allowed us to experience as a family. And so I'm really forgetful. So we'll actually open up our phones, go to our Google Photos and just 
just flip through the entire year, and then we'll remember, oh, yeah, we got to do that with that person. And so we get a piece of paper, we get Post-it notes, and we just write down on the Post-its each thing that we're thankful for God for. We put the Post-its on the paper. We stick the paper on, uh, on the wall in the living room. And it's just one way that we try to be thankful for God for there's just so many things that, that I know for me, I forget that God is so good. So maybe this morning we're dealing with bitterness, anger, disappointment, uh, feel like we were hopeless. I would encourage you sometime today, build in time to just reflect on the different ways that God has just been so good to you and so good to those in uh, your lives. So the first way that we are to fight the good fight is to fight by being thankful to God. The second way to fight the good fight is to serve God. Let's look at what Paul says, to serve him. He says this, Back in verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, uh, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. So here Paul is saying that, that he was given strength to serve God. Maybe when we think about serving God, it's just kind of lofty picture of maybe missionaries going out in some distant country or actually working for a church. But serving God is, is not only that. That's just some examples. Serving God happens in the everyday things of life. Everyday things of life. For Paul, that was as a church planter and a missionary. For Timothy, that was as a pastor at the church of Ephesus. But each person has their own unique story and relationships, and ways to serve, and gifts in order to serve God. So how do we go about thinking through it? What's asking ourselves, well, who's in our lives? Who has God placed in our lives? Family members, friends, coworkers. We can serve God by serving them. And then where has God placed us? Uh, What school are we currently in? What workplace are we currently in? That's where we can serve uh, God. A.W. Tozer said, it's not what a person does that determines whether he's spiritual or not. It's not what a person does, but it's why he or she does it. It's the motive behind it. In other words, we can serve God by washing dishes for his glory. We serve God by cooking a meal for friends. We serve God by filing papers at the workplace. We serve God by lifting up cafeteria tables uh, after, uh, after a Sunday service. We serve God by serving the church. I mean, for some of us, we're like, well, you know, I, I just don't know what my gift is. I, I don't know what gifts God has given me. And my just encouragement to you would be just Jump somewhere. Jump in somewhere. And let the church community affirm what gifts you have. Affirm. Because they'll notice. Say, oh, wow, that was really encouraging when you did that. And so if you're just not sure what your gifts are that God has given you, serve somewhere. And then listen to see and even ask others uh, to affirm or not affirm where we think uh, God may have gifted us. But the way that we fight the good fight is to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that can lead to burnout, right? That can lead to just being totally expended and burned out and feeling like, man, I'm just, I burn both ends of the candle. What do we do then? What do we do when we serve God but feel absolutely discouraged or depleted? Well, Paul gives us wisdom here. And here's the third thing on how to fight for faith. It is just to serve out of the strength that he provides. You see how Paul words it? 
back in verse 12, I thank God who has given me strength. Do you see that? So it's not just I serve God, but it's I serve God with the strength that God provides. We cannot serve God on our own. We need the strength that he provides through his Holy Spirit. We need to be asking God to give us the strength and not depending on our own. If there's anyone in church history who could claim that they were burned out and had too much on their plate, it would probably, also Jesus, right? It'd be the Apostle Paul. It'd be the person writing this letter. He had a lot on his plate. Let's just read part of Paul's job description in 2 Corinthians 11. Here's what it says about him. Paul writes this, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Why they would do 39 lashes is because they believe if you got lashed 40 times, you would die. So Paul received that five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, right? They threw stones at him thinking he was dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, uh, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, uh, danger from false brothers. Now, this guy doesn't have workplace comp. Nor does he have a retirement plan, all right? So let's go on. Let's, let's, let's read on his job description. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Must not have a good HR, yeah? And apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety. Do Christians get anxious? Yeah, Paul did, right? Paul, Paul, Paul knew what anxiety is. Um, for all the churches... Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I am not, and, and I am not indignant? And so what Paul is saying here, uh, and, and he's writing to them showing that these false teachers that were claiming that they were so, they were so brave for Christ, he, he's saying, honestly, man, they, they can't match my record. And I'm not doing this to brag, but just so that you wouldn't believe these false teachers. But the point is, is if there's someone that could claim burnout, it'd be this guy. But yet, he served out of the strength that God provided. Not only this, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul had this thing called a thorn in the flesh. Let's read it. He says this, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave. So Paul is saying, I am being tormented. It's a thorn in the flesh. Not a little pokey that you get when you're running barefoot, but think of like one of those thick thorns that are just sticking into your foot where it's always, always painful to, to walk. So Paul's saying, I was given this thorn of the flesh. What is it? We don't know what it is, but because Paul doesn't tell us, but it, but it was tormenting for Paul. So much so that he pleaded three times with the Lord to take it away. And God answers him. Verse uh, nine, here's what it says. But God said to me, he said to me, my grace, my power, my undeserved strength is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect 
in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I was content. I am content with weaknesses, insult, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul knew, right, that it is in our weakness that the power of God shines that much brighter. It's only when things get dark does the light become that much more visible and bright. Here's another way to think about it is, in a, in a sense, Paul saw this thorn in the flesh as a gift. As a gift. What is our hardship and struggle? Could it be that it's actually, if we see it through the lens that Paul is giving us, it's actually a gift? Even though in and of itself it's not good, that God is using it like a tool to empower us for his glory. So that people won't praise us, but they'll say, how in the world did you overcome that, that situation you're in? Or how in the world are you still persevering even though you're having panic attacks? Even though you're experiencing depression and anxiety? How are you still going, keep, keep on going even though it hasn't gone away? All we can really say is, it's, God, is God has given me strength. God has given me the ability to endure through it. So for some of us, we need that strength to serve and love God. Maybe it is in a difficult family relationship. There's a certain family member that it's just so hard to love them. It's so hard to speak kindly about them, to them. And we need God's strength in order to love that family member. Or maybe it's a cork, or maybe it's our boss, or uh, employee, where it's just so difficult to work alongside of them. It's so difficult to communicate with them. We need God's power and his strength to help us to serve and to love them. The third way that we are to fight this good fight is to rely on the strength that God, the strength that God gives. A lot of times we don't, and I don't, it's because I think that I can do it on my own. I forget where I came from. I forget who I am. I forget that, that I'm a broken sinner that needs God's strength. And so that's the fourth thing. Uh, how we are to fight this good fight. It's to remember our identity. It's to remember our identity. Here's what Paul says about himself. He says this. All right, we're going to go quicker. I know we're in verse 13. We'll get quicker. It says this, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, right? He was like ISIS, right? He was out hunting Christians and killing them and wanting to get arrested. He says this, but I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The, the, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Jesus, um, I'm the foremost, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Now, we might be thinking to ourselves, you know, when we mess up, when we make mistakes, man, how can God love me? How can God 
forgive me. I'm so messed up. And Paul's saying, look at me. I am the foremost of sinners. You think you're bad? Look at me. And if God was patient with me, and if God saved me, then how much more you? So if you ever feel like, you know, this, this self-deprecating, uh, spiraling, just abusing self with thoughts and words, look to Paul and say, no, like if God saves someone like Paul, he saves people even like, even like me. But Paul had an accurate view of himself, right? And that was that of a sinner, someone who has rebelled against God. And I know that's not popular and uh, culturally acceptable just in our day and age of the self-esteem movement, where this is like the opposite of self-esteem, where self-esteem is all about saying how good you are, how great you are. Uh, and so this would not fit in one of those self-esteem workbooks. So they, they, they would kind of not want to put what Paul is saying in here. But what Paul is, is showing us is that it is who he sees himself as, as someone who needs God's grace. And, and our, our day and age, we need to hear it. There's a man named John Newton. A few hundred years ago, he wrote that famous uh, song, right? And it was, it was uh, played instrumental at one of Kobe Bryant's uh, um, memorials, right? Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace has just been playing and it's often played at funerals. Right? In, in those lines, it's Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, right? What is a wretch? You ever thought that? Despicable? vile, morally corrupt. So in modern times, people have changed the lyrics to the song. And so some people sing it like this, amazing grace, how sweet the sound uh, that saved a one like me. Another, another version says this, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a soul like me. Do you see what's going on in, in our uh, post, postmodern era? Is this idea of, let's change the, the meaning. Wretch, no, we're not wretches. We're, we're good. We're good. Humanity is good by nature. So let's take out the word wretch because ah, that's just too negative. That's just too, that just is just not. Not where we want to go. So let's take out rich and we're going to put soul instead. That just sounds uh, better. That's lifting up humanity. But, but John Newton had it right. Is we, by, by nature, the Bible teaches us, right, are children of wrath, deserving God's righteous wrath. It's punishment, right? We are, um, in, by nature, uh, we want to live autonomously from God. And we see the evidence of that through we physically die. We see evidence of that because there's wars and, 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 and conflicts in this world and even in our relationships. We see evidence of that because nature itself right, has, gone, has, 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 uh, has been corrupted. It's not a perfect nature. And that's the evidence that humanity is living autonomously from God as there are our own kings and queens. And so Paul described himself as a sinner who was given mercy. Because if, if we don't see ourselves that way, right? think about it like this. If we don't think humanity is corrupt and sinful and in rebellion against God, then why would Jesus have to die on the cross? Right? Think about it. 
if humanity is generally good and and generally uh, morally okay, then what is the purpose of Jesus needing to die? God the Father would be an abusive father to have his son die if all it took to go to heaven was to be good and moral, right? Because it's like, why, why does he just need to die? We just need to be good enough. But because Jesus had to die, that shows us that, wow, that's, how, that's what we deserve for being in rebellion against God. So Paul understood this. He understood that he was a sinner in need of God's grace. Now, if we only stay there, if we only say instead of, okay, yeah, I'm vile. Yeah, I, I know I'm a sinner. Yeah, I know I deserve God's judgment. If we only stay there, that's not good. That's when we have to be reminded of who God is. And that's what Paul does. Let's look, look back at the text. Here's what Paul says, verse 16, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. That's who God is. He's patient. Uh, as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life too. And here, here it is, right? The king of kings, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. When we recognize our sinfulness, we need to look at God's goodness and greatness. And that's what Paul does. He says, yes, I'm a sinner, but God is patient and loving, and he's God so he can save me. He can save me. So we have to uh, remember the good news of Jesus. Whenever we fall into these slumps of, okay, I messed up. I hurt that person. I totally did that selfishly. Then we go to the cross. Then we go and look at how patient and good God is. And notice what it leads Paul to. It leads Paul in verse 11 to worship him. I'm oh, sorry, in verse, in verse uh, 17, he worships God. He bursts out into praise. One of the ways we know that we're receiving, that we're understanding our sinfulness and then receiving God's mercy is it leads us to praise him. Paul is not someone that just writes a bunch of things about God in this like dry, dusty doctrine. But notice he often in his letters will break out in singing, in praising. When was the last time we remembered our sinfulness, remember God's saving love through Jesus, and then burst out in song? That's an indicator, right? If, we're, if, if we've been really experiencing uh, um, the good news of Jesus, and if we haven't, we go to him. We say, God, I want to experience this. I want to burst out in praise when I think about how good and patient and loving you have been to me through Jesus. So that's the fourth way we fight the good fight. It is to remember who God is. The fifth thing, finally, as we bring it to a close, is we fight the good fight by treasuring the gospel, the good news of Jesus, by treasuring it and continuing to believe it, by treasuring it and continuing to believe it. Here's what it says. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. Not biological, right, but like as someone who has led Timothy to, to the faith. In accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So that's how we get this sermon series, The Fight. Right? Timothy is to fight, wage the good warfare. Uh, verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this faith and good conscience, some have made shipwreck of their faith. 
among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. All right, now you just read that like, whoa. That is just heavy, heavy words, right? Sometimes Paul writes things and you're just like, what is he talking about, man? Um, This is not easy. What does it mean when a person's faith is shipwrecked? Hard question. And in verse uh, 20, right, what does it mean to hand someone over to Satan? Possibly excommunication from a church? Um, that, that, that could be a possibility. Um, so that they would learn not to blaspheme. Hard to say what Paul's saying right here. But, but here's what we do know from the text. Is that these two men have rejected the faith in verse 19. They rejected the faith. They chose to believe something uh, that wasn't the gospel, and that shipwrecked them. That shipwrecked their faith. In other words, probably weren't Christians. Weren't, weren't Christians to begin with. Now, how do we think about this, right? When, when, when it talks about uh, these two uh, individuals, Paul you know, gives detail in a second letter about um, Alexander saying, and he's teaching, Alexander's teaching that the resurrection has already happened. So there are these core, um, core beliefs that, that they were not believing, and they were teaching different things. Back in chapter one in the beginning, there was these myths that were being promoted in, in the church, things that were not part of the, that, that were not part of Orthodox faith, but were rather speculations that they were promoting. They were not trusting in, uh, in, in the gospel. They shipwrecked their faith by rejecting it. Now, what does that mean for us? I mean, even in our day and age, right, um, people shipwreck their faith by believing something that they think is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that they think is Christianity, but really isn't. Really isn't. So in our day and age, what could that be? So one of the things is uh, this belief called, and I've shared this before, moralistic, thera- uh, therapeutic de- de- uh, de- deism. Deism, big fancy words. I call it MTD. MTD. So about 15 years ago, there are a couple of so- uh, sociologists that did a research on teenagers in America. Now, these teenagers are obviously adults, okay? And what they did was they researched them on religious beliefs, even for, for, for these uh, teenagers who called themselves Christians. And what they found was that these, these, and it's the majority, by the way, majority of teenagers believe this. Uh, it is called moralistic, therapeutic deism that appears to be Christian, but really isn't. Uh, maybe for some of us, this is what you believe, but it's not Christian. So let me share with you the five points that is popular among American teenagers. Now, this is a while ago, so they're adults now. Um, here are the five points. Again, it appears Christian, but it really isn't. Uh, here's the first belief, and this is very popular. Uh, athletes, celebrities, people like that, they hold to this. Here's the first thing, first tenet. So if you hold to MTD, you believe that a God exists, who created and ordered, ordered the world and watches over human life. But here's the thing. He's not personal. So there's a God. There's some deity out there. He created and ordered the world, but he's not personal. He's not personal. He's not someone that you have a personal relationship with. Now, um, 
Christianity teaches that God is absolutely personal. In fact, that he came from heaven to earth and lived amongst uh, humanity. He is absolutely personal. Here's the second tenet of MTD. Is God, here's what God wants. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to treat each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Basically, all religions teach the same thing. Be good and moral. And so you wouldn't, kind of, you, you wouldn't say, oh, this religion actually is promoting something false. You wouldn't say that. Because you'd say, no, 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 every religion has good things about it. And so the main thing is you'd be good and moral. So again, if, if that's like, oh, yeah, I believe that, then, then it's MTD. It's not Christianity. It's, it's M- MTD, moralistic, therapeutic uh, deism. The Bible teaches something different, though. The Bible teaches that Jesus himself said that he is the only way to the Father in John chapter 14, that there's no other religion that can get you to the Father, Father God. It's only through the Son. That's what Christianity teaches. Again, that's in contrast to MTD. Number three for MTD, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. So that's why the word sin is not good. Because it doesn't make you feel good about yourself. So that's why it's called therapeutic deism. Because the goal is to give yourself therapy. To make yourself feel good. To be comforted. And so if someone's calling you a sinner, or you're in rebellion against God, deserving his judgment, that, that's, no, that's a big no-no. Right? And so you see a lot of that reaction in culture. Because most people follow MTD. Right? And, and the goal, again, right, it is to feel good about yourself and to be happy. So you, you, you'll, hear, you'll hear this fa- famous phrase, right? Whatever makes you happy. Pursue happiness. That's MTD. That's moralistic therapeutic deism. It is not the gospel. It is not what Christianity teaches. It is what shipwrecks faith. What shipwrecks faith. The Bible teaches something different. Right? Happiness is a good thing. But our happiness is found only in God. One of the great North African theologians, Augustine, said it like this. He said that, that, that we've been created uh, to know God and that our hearts will, will not be at rest until they rest in him. In him. Now, I annotated that, but he said that, that we're, we only find our rest only when we are in God. Not trying to discover ourselves not trying to create our own identity, not trying to be happy apart from him. It's only found in him. The fourth thing, right, in our culture is for MTD would believe that God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. So in other words, in other words, God is like the George Foreman grill, like he sets it and then he forgets it. And you never really know about, you don't, don't really pray to God. You don't really seek him unless things are going really bad. Again, you'll, you'll see that on, in our culture, in celebrities and whatnot, right? You call on God, you call him when things are in trouble, but really it's, he's not like the ultimate relationship. He's just kind of there when you need him. So that's the, that, that's, that's the fourth thing. Christianity teaches something different. Right? MTD says God only cares about the big stuff. Christianity, the Bible teaches that God is concerned and engaged with every single thing in our lives. And here's what that means. He cares about our work. 
He cares about our friendships. He cares about our hobbies. He cares about the anxieties we face, the pressures we face, the depressions we face. He cares, and he's intimately engaged in those situations. Again, he showed that by coming from heaven to earth to become human, and our Lord Jesus. That's the fourth thing. All right, fifth thing. Last thing, fifth thing is MTD believes that good people go to heaven when they die. So a way that you, you know that you believe this, this MTD is if you ask someone, okay, if someone is really moral, really good, do they go to heaven? And if the answer is yes, then you believe in MTD. But, if it, but what Christianity teaches is, is not that. And what Paul teaches is that God is the only one who is good. No one can earn their right to live with God forever. Only those who have freely received Jesus' perfect record of living in obedience to God, who receive it by faith, are the ones who live with God forever. That's what Christianity teaches. But here's the thing, right? Many people in America, right, would check the box that says Christian, but actually believe in MTD. So even when someone says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, you can't, it's, it's like, okay, but what does that even mean? Because many people will say Christian, but actually are followers of MTD, which again, shipwrecks faith. So Alexander and Hymenaeus, they, they taught and believed something that they would call Christian, but really wasn't Christian. Now, was it because they didn't know God's word or did they flat out reject it? But here's the point is that we need to know God's word so that we can discern between what is true, what is false, what is good news, and what is actually false, uh, false advertisement. We need to hold on to treasure the gospel, treasure God's word, and continue to believe. And so that's, what, that's what Paul charges Timothy to do, to hold on to faith, right? To fight the good fight, to know his Word. And so I want to encourage us that as we grow in our faith in Jesus, that we would grow in reading of his word, because that's how we know what we're to believe in and who we are believing in. It is through the Bible, God's revealed word. So one of the things we've been doing as we go through this series is we've been using the book, The Common Rule, uh, by Justin uh, Early, and uh, he lays out in his book just practical ways that we can uh, instill habits in our lives that, that, that fuel a greater love for God and our love for our neighbor. And so I think I have a picture of the graphic, if you can show that up on the screen, that comes from the book. And so this week, this week is to have scripture before our phones. Now, if you want one of these graphics, we have it on the back table. Feel free to take it home and take it with you. So one of the ways that we can grow in treasuring and uh, believing God's truth is to be committed to being in God's word. So number four daily habit is scripture before phone. Scripture before phone. And what that basically means is before we Jump on our phone, check our new feed, news feeds, social media, uh, texting other people back, emailing people back. First, dive into God's good word. I don't know there are times for me that I'm like, yeah, I want to I wanna just dive in and marinate in God's word. And I pick up my phone in the morning and like, oh, I got these text messages. I got to respond. And then, ooh, ooh, my favorite basketball team, they, 
They're making a trade. I got I to gotta go look that up. Oh, that's happening in, with the, um, the coronavirus? I got I to gotta read more about that. And so I read and read, and then it kind of gets like a rabbit trail. You see that suggested website, that suggested news, and then I like click, click. And I realize afterwards, oh my gosh, I got to go to, you know, like I got to go to my next appointment. <laughs> I got to leave her. I got to take the kids to school. And it's like, oh, there goes my time reading God's word because I get sucked into the vortex of my phone. That happens to me so much, where, where I, I intend to do something, I see one thing on my phone, I click on it, and then I, and I go down the rabbit trail, and then an hour later, I'm like, oh my gosh, where did the time go? And so this habit, I want to encourage us, is that before we go to our phone, it's to get into God's good word, that we can grow in treasuring his good truths and continuing to believe God's uh, good truth, asking the Holy Spirit, right, to give us the the power to trust him, to believe him, and to continue to follow him as we fight the good fight of faith. And so, I just encourage us, how can we, what's one way that we can fight this good fight of faith? I give us five, five different ways as we looked at 1 Timothy. And so, let's just spend a moment now in prayer where, where we can ask God, give us wisdom, on how can we fight this good fight of faith? What are things we can change today, this upcoming week, by God's grace, in order to fight the good fight of faith? So we're going to just take a quick minute now. It's in quiet prayer to God, and then we're going to respond to his good news in singing and taking communion. So let's go ahead and pray.